thanks for tuning in to the Home Stretch podcast. 101 plus tips for navigating assisted living and nursing homes. My name is Chad Schmidt, and here you're going to discover the questions to ask from the researchers, professionals, and the institutions so that you can make a more informed decision. And in today's episode, we're going to sit down with Michael Bremer who is a VP of Data Breach Resolution Group and Consumer Protection for Experian Credit Bureau. And he's gonna share some of the scams that are directed at the elderly population, some different forms of identity theft, as well as the difference between a synthetic ID and another form of ID, and some preventative steps that you can take right now. We're also gonna share a little bit of details about how to resolve a breach of information when you have become a victim of identity theft. So let's dive right into today's episode. And before we get started, I wanna thank you so much for listening and tuning in and taking an interest in how you can play a part in preventing your loved one. And even if they have been deceased, from having their information stolen and used for the benefit of somebody else. First off, Michael, share with our listeners what it is that you actually do for experience. My title is Vice President of Consumer Protection. I also have responsibility specifically for our data breach response business. So in those two roles, My capacity is to ensure from an Experian, both consumer and client perspective, because we do have clients that we resell our product to, that we take care of consumers and ensure that we do our best to not only prevent identity theft, but if an identity theft would in fact happen, we have a whole set of fraud resolution agents that will help return their identity to pre-event status, and we serve between three to five million people enroll in our identity theft protection products through data breach events that we service on behalf of clients. And then on the back end, we have 25 to 30,000 cases of identity theft that we'll get in and process through our fraud resolution agents and restore these people's identities regardless of how that identity theft may occur. So that's kind of the, the net of our my responsibility. I came across Experian services through identity theft protection because I was actually at work and one of my coworkers had received a phone call from somebody that had posed as a representative from the Social Security Administration that needed her, them to call her back and be able to verify their Social Security information So we were in the break room and she called this person and she knew that it was a hoax. So she was asking why is it that they need this information and that she actually herself works for the Social Security Administration and the person hung up the phone. And so (laughs) as I started to look online, because I shop at Costco, Mm -hmm. I saw that there's an identity theft protection service called Complete ID that's available for members as either as a gold star or as an executive member at Costco. And mm-hmm. I reached out to Experian media representatives and they put me in touch with you. So I'm curious, what 
different forms of identity theft are there out there because there's different ones for phone and there's different ones for uh, other circumstances. So can you kind of share with the listeners what different forms of identity theft there are? Chad, there's there's a number of them, but I'll, I'll use a couple facts. The National Council of Aging just recently put out the top scams for 2019, and the top ones were the one that you just alluded to with your friend, the Social Security scam. The second one was the grandparent scam, and the third, the national disaster scam. And very quickly, the Social Security one is trying to get you to confirm your Social Security number because someone calls out as a representative of, of the Social Security Administration. The grandparent scam is a variation on that, but the, particularly for seniors, they call up and say, hey, we found out that your grandson, granddaughter, niece, nephew, whatever, is traveling to so-and-so, and they've got this off of someone's Facebook post, for example, and said they're trapped in Mexico, they need your money, please send money to this account, and then the natural, natural disasters one, which comes up, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a flood, whether it's a tornado, please donate money to this particular cause. It's social engineering, but they get people to separate a few dollars toward that disaster based on some very unfounded claims, although still related to the natural disaster. And Specifically, along the lines with the National Council on Aging, the IRS reported that seniors are the number one target of IRS tax scams. Again, the IRS will never reach out to you via email or phone. They will always send you a U.S. registered notice for anything, but people have taken that to the extent where Someone will call you and say, please look outside your home. There's a car sitting out there. There's an agent from the IRS that's going to come in, and they're going to file a, a lien against you unless you go ahead and pay me money. And people will believe that, and they'll pay money. It's a scam, not necessarily related to identity, but identity is involved because they get information to know that, yeah, you recently filed an IRS tax return, you've given to the Red Cross in a natural disaster before. They understand off of your social media account that you have grandchildren. They can use any, just about any angle to either create some sort of false situation or to use your information as part of a synthetic identity. And a synthetic identity means that it may have some real components, like a real social security number, but it's someone else's address, someone else's name, maybe uh, different information to create a whole new identity, which in some cases will get around fraud protections at credit unions or, uh, or other institutions. But a lot of the things that we're seeing in terms of identity theft are targeted to people 65 and older. And in fact, the Federal Trade Commission for the last 17 years has rated identity theft as the number one reported incident. AARP has also reported that people 65 and older, their number one threat right now is not necessarily cancer, it's actually identity theft. Well, and how frequently does somebody's identity get stolen? I don't even know that that number is, but I'm sure you do. Well, there's, there's not an official counter for that, but given 
the number of cases that we process, back to my intro, we, we see 25 or 30,000 cases of identity theft that we see and resolve every year. Keep in mind there's another statistic that might even be more telling, that most people don't find out about identity theft by themselves. They'll find out because they were a victim of a breach and their information was compromised by someone who sends them communication in the mail, or they're going to get some information in the mail about an offer from a company they never did business with, or they get an inquiry from their broker that says, hey, somebody requested new credentials on your online account. Was that you? And so identity theft is one of those crimes that can go undetected for a long period of time. But from the FTC, they're saying on average that between 2 and 3% of the U.S. population suffer some sort of identity theft on an annual basis. And that could range from simple credit card fraud all the way to full-blown, your whole identity is stolen, someone's taken out a mortgage in your name or gotten a passport and used that to travel internationally. Those are more serious types of identity theft, but the number's big either way when you consider how big our, our U.S. population, and that doesn't even cover anything on a global basis either. Well, is it possible for somebody's identity to get stolen if they've already passed away? Yes. In fact, there are specific people that will target the death roles and monitor newspaper as well as hospital records to see who died in the circumstances because unfortunately there's lots of public postings to that. Then they can go ahead and try to acquire a social security number very quickly and other information and use that information before the social security number is put on the death master file from the Social Security Administration, which normally people will do for as, a, as their next of kin or as part of the estate. And so, yes, it's absolutely possible, and it's one of the scams that, again, not necessarily a senior, but it's an area of a vulnerable population that are taken advantage of, along with, at the other end of the spectrum, children, because many parents and guardians don't monitor the identity of a child, and it's not until they become credit active or apply for their first school admission that they might discover it. So it could go unchecked for years. And you had mentioned a moment ago that somebody can pose as, or create a synthetic ID, and so they're collecting, what, personal information through like a birthday or a home address and putting pieces of information about a person but not the whole picture? Right, well, it's, it's no, it could be the whole picture but a synthetic identity versus a real identity. A synthetic identity is a creation of multiple aspects. So it may have some real components, and it may also have components that are made up or not from the same individual. So taking a social from Mike Bremer, but we'll take Chad Schmidt's name and address, we'll take someone else's valid medical insurance ID, and then we'll try to go into a emergency care clinic to get coverage for something under medical care that you don't have. And because they're fraud prevention systems, just check, okay, is that a valid social? 
and that's a valid medical ID. They won't check that the two are not from the same person. They could get service without that medical clinic knowing that fraud was just committed. And that's just one form of identity theft for sake of time. We're not going to go into others for this recording. But I'm curious about those sweepstakes and drawings that some people enter into at either a baseball game or in the mall where there's a car or there's a trip that's being offered. Is that a risk or an area where somebody could gather information to use against you? Yes. Anytime you give away information, and it may be over that you're giving it out at a doctor's office, a sweepstakes, you're letting a friend have your passport number for ease of enrolling in a, an Airbnb all overseas because they need to give passport numbers. Anytime you do that on your social media site by inadvertently putting a picture with your driver's license on there, or giving away personal information on a sweepstakes, that is exposing you to undue risk. So what I always say as part of prevention, regardless of age, is don't give out any personal identity information anytime unless you know explicitly where it's being used, who's using it, and it's mandatory that you get it. I use the example all the time. People go in to get healthcare services and the doctor or dentist or pharmacist always asks you, what's your social security number? They don't need that to provide the service or provide the prescription. They're using it to validate your identity, and there are other ways of doing it without supplying your social. So you can just say no. It's also used on the back end for collections in the case of physicians and dentists. But that's a great example where don't give out your social security number. When your kids are registering for the summer traveling team lead with Little League Baseball, and I had this with my kids, the coach would say, in order to prove your age and that you lived in the district and you played baseball, you need to give me a birth certificate, a utility bill, as well as the driver's license of one of the parents. And I told the coach, no, I'm not giving you any of that. There's other ways that you can prove my son lived in the district you can find my information. I'm not going to give you the utility. I'm not going to give that information because I don't know where it's going to go once I give it to you. It's a good example. Don't give out any information to anybody you don't actually know or where it's going to be used. Well, and now there's oftentimes boxes on forms that you can check that you don't want your information sold to a third party. But just because you check the box doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen, right? Exactly, and, and there's lots of opportunities for you to give away information. In fact, again, this is nothing against Amazon, but yesterday I saw an ad for their Prime Day, and they said you could get $10 off your annual Prime membership if you agree to go ahead and let them monitor all your web traffic and where you shop. Now, that isn't absolutely what we would consider PII or personal identity information, but it's violating your privacy rights and giving them the information that they otherwise may not have. And it, there are just a ton of other requests like that where people are being bombarded to give up information that normally we should keep private. I want to transition here because I know that you spend quite a bit of your responsibility as data breach and resolution group, but what is phishing and malware? Phishing is 
an intended email to try to trick you into either clicking on a link or giving you giving the person on the other end who sent the email information that they otherwise wouldn't have. If you click on a link, it may be able to have a malware. A malware is just a piece of, of software or code that's written in with the sole purpose of extracting information out or causing harm. But in the case of a phishing attack, I get an email that says, hey, Mike, here's some pictures from our joint trip with our families last week. Click on this link to see the pictures. Well, I never click on any links, and I never, even if it's from a friend, because it could have had been their email account that was taken over. So never respond to any emails you're not sure that they were sent by somebody that you spoke to that same day. Never click on any links. Never offer that any information because you never know when there's not only phishing attack going on, but also within that link or that email or a website that you're unfamiliar with, there could be malware that could extract from your phone or from your computer information that's, that contains personal identity stuff. Does that even work if you have some security password on your phone? For instance, the latest thing with uh, iPhone and Samsung is being able to have like an Apple Pay or some type of way of paying for transactions without actually using your card. And there's usually either a thumbprint or like a face recognition. Are those protective measures of fingerprint ID or face recognition susceptible to gathering the stored information that's on your phone or in your computer? There's numerous stories, Chad, out there that you can replicate just through a 3D printing machine a thumbprint or facial resemblance that can bypass facial recognition or touch ID. So that is just as good as you getting into your phone. There was also a, a scam that was reported at an airport and it, it's an, more of an extreme example, but the scam was they were watching for business people that were talking on their phone right up until security. And I've done it myself. Hey, I'm on a conference call. Hold on a second. I'm going to stick my phone through the scanner, and I'll continue the conference call on the other side. Well, the phone's unlocked. So the scam was to have people on the other side, they'd already gone through security, watching for people that had been on a call put their phone through, and they created a diversion, took the phone, went over to a broom closet right behind security, unbeknownst to the person who's searching for their phone, and it only takes a few minutes with an open, unlocked phone to have a program that you can stick a cable into to extract all the data off the phone or make a copy of it, and it takes a few minutes. And the person who was searching for the phone, they didn't find it, they go to their gate, then all of a sudden they get the pager, hey, we found a phone at checkpoint one, and the person runs back and goes, oh, thank goodness, I got my phone back. They never report it to their company. They never say anything. And then all of a sudden stuff starts happening where they see indications of identity theft, and they never even realize until they all track back that, hey, they'd had their phone out of their possession for only a short few minutes, and they had all that data in an open, unlocked phone extracted from their phone. True story. Wow. So there's all kinds of ways to go around and get collect information, even with all of the 
security and preventative measures that are out there on phones so far. And you mentioned earlier in this recording some scams that have been directed towards the elderly and the frequency of those types of breaches. But what are some things that you would recommend or you can tell our listeners to look out for? Any mail that comes to you from a company that you don't do business with is a sure sign your information is out there where you don't want it to be. Or you get strange phone calls of people calling you from different area codes. And I always say that if the person isn't in my caller ID list, I don't pick up the phone. If they really need to get a hold of me, they'll call back multiple times. But the scammers won't call back multiple times, generally because they're on an auto dialer. Or if you see something where there's an anomaly in any of bank statements or credit card statements, that, again, could be like small charges, a dollar a piece, or even some cases people will go ahead and test your account out by putting a deposit into your account to see if they can work around the system. So any types of anomalies like that. Don't answer any telephone or door-to-door sales calls. For sure, if you have anything beyond three months of your latest bills or receipts that you collect, shred them. Keep all of your secure documents, not only in a fireproof safe or in a social security box, you should also make copies of all your sensitive documents. And there are some good online repositories to keep all your documents in one place. In fact, they can be combined with another suggestion is most people don't have a password manager, but a password manager allows you to keep all your passwords in one place. You don't have to remember them. You only have to remember a master password and it's secure, and you can also have secure file sharing along with some of those services as well. So those would be a few tips that I didn't mention earlier that I would add to the list. Okay. And let's get back to a little bit about this data breaching. What is it, and how does a data breach actually happen? Well, a data breach is either a loss of personal identity information under the state or federal laws, either state laws for any commercial federal laws under a HIPAA and high-tech, or the access to that information. It doesn't have to be stolen or exfiltrated, but it's exposed. And on average, Experian services between five and 6,000 data breaches across all industries around the globe on an annual basis. Some of them are as small as two or three people at a time. Last year, our largest data breach that we serviced was almost 40 million people. And Those breaches involve the client has a responsibility to notify the affected parties, the legal notification requirement, as well as set up a call center to answer questions from the affected parties. And in most cases, those clients will provide an identity theft protection product. You mentioned Complete ID from Costco. That's an example of a very, very robust identity theft protection product. In fact, we power that product from Experian for Costco, and people will use that to sign up for if they haven't already got a product. And having an identity theft protection product, even if it's a a free one that's offered by some of the free services or a paid-for product that's more robust, is also an important way for you to monitor your identity details, whether you get it as part of a breach or not, but just general protocol to make sure you don't have any problems in the long term, 
you can prevent data breaches, or if it does happen, one of the most valuable components of identity theft protection product is having a certified fraud resolution agent that can walk you through any of the issues you may have to correct the identity theft situation because it's very hard, it's very time consuming and expensive to try to do it on your own. Well, and that was going to be my next question is, is if somebody is a victim of an identity theft, whether it's pieces of information or full-blown theft that occurs on their identity, what are they supposed to do? Well, depending on what it is, there's some free help that you can get from your bank to be able to stop access to accounts or your credit card companies to turn off an account or change and have a card cancel and reissued. But the best thing to do, quite honestly, is there are some free services where they'll provide free identity theft protection advice. One example is the Identity Theft Resource Center out of San Diego, and that's a, a free service. But ideally, you'll have some sort of identity theft protection, even in homeowners insurance policies, through your Costco membership, through, you know, if you're a, your brokerage firm may have that included as part of your relationship with them. Call a professional and ask for the advice. They're the best people to help you to know what to do and how to do it. That way, you don't waste any time. And again, if you think something may be going on, it's always best to be chicken littleish when it comes to identity theft and overreact. I've never seen anybody that reacts too quickly, but the people that put it off and wait, time is on the side of the thieves because the information doesn't become less valuable over time. It actually stays the same or becomes more valuable, especially if it goes undetected. Well, and I want to be respectful of your time, Michael. So we have a hard stop at 1.30 here. So I got you with about 30 seconds left. Thank you so much for all that you shared. Is there anything that I can do for you at this point? Chad, I really enjoy talking to you, and the most important thing is, is keep broadcasting the message out that identity theft is a serious problem and that people should follow some of the basic steps and take it seriously because there are probably more horror stories of people that didn't take it seriously and had either loss of access to medical care, they had mortgages canceled or bankruptcies because of it, so it is serious, and, and just to have it as part of their overall general security awareness. Thank you once again for volunteering your time and the information you shared. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Chad. I want to thank you once again for taking an interest and listening to this very important message that Michael shared on how we can all prevent identity theft from occurring to us and a loved one. I was very surprised to discover that even somebody that has been deceased can have their information used for the benefit of somebody else and how entering a sweepstakes for a trip or a car that's offered in a mall or at a baseball event, for instance, that even those details can be shared with a third party. If what you heard today was beneficial to you and your family, 
I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform that you're listening to it on, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or several of the others that it's available on. Press the subscribe button. You may also check out homestretch101.com for upcoming guests as well as news and links to previous episodes and video content that's available. And if you're a member at Costco, there is an identity theft protection solution that's available for both Gold Star and executive members. But there's also many other companies that provide identity theft protection services. It could be at your bank, it could be with your insurance broker, or it could be a number of others. Consider enrolling in either a free or a paid subscription for yourself and for your loved ones. And with that said, I want to ask you for a favor. There's probably somebody that's in your life right now that has been a victim of identity theft. Until our next conversation, I wish you good health and eternal love and have a beautiful day.